This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Welcome to the My Own Man Said podcast, the Aston Villa podcast that the Villa Twitterati are banned from. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOwnManSaid.com. Joining me to uh, discuss, amongst other things, the difference between the Villa that started the season in 2020 to the Villa that are now in front of our eyes in 2021, also the uh, Newcastle game. Mr. Chris Budd, who it may be his last ever podcast because apparently he's uh, been tapped up for the uh, the Sheffield United job. <laughs> due to his insights into how to switch off Hawkeye, which Sheffield United are very keen on, uh, they need to muster as many dark hearts as they possibly can to try to salvage this season. Welcome back. Hello, <laughs> thank you very much. What do you think of Wilder going? Shocking. Opportunity for you, though. If, I, it I didn't is an know opportunity for me. I mean, I'm not playing gigs at the moment, so I'll take what I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you uh, had any football managing experience, but with Sheffield United, you don't really need any because there's not much you can really do with that job, is there? I'm going to end up being one of those data managers, aren't I? It's going to be Moneyball on steroids. No, you're going to be like uh, Sheffield United's Eric Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get that knobhead from Birmingham in here. Good, good plan. Also joining us, uh, and I think this guy is uh, a shoe in for the Birmingham City job that's uh, <laughs> coming along soon, Mister Phil Shaw. Any ambitions to uh, manage the Blues? I couldn't do a worse job, could I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they pay though. Uh, have they paid any yeah, of their good managers? Luck, good, good luck getting paid. <laughs> have they paid any of their managers in the last Staff five years? Staff or bills? Yeah. Have they fixed the hole in the roof yet? Uh, I'll do it for free as long as I don't have a data analyst. I don't need one. They're, they're that bad that Coventry are moving out. All right, anyway, before we get into... Uh, we're we're going to focus a bit more on uh, what's what's happened to Villa, the, the kind of two different versions that we've seen this season, uh, as well as uh, looking at the Newcastle game, which is really just an example of what we've been watching, isn't it, over the last few weeks? So uh, it, it's kind of a, a good example to uh, lead us in that conversation. Conversation. Also, uh, we'll catch up on the uh, the latest Villa news. Also, uh, in the three points, the football index, the stock market for players, crashes. Meanwhile, 
Our friend Andrea Agnelli, the Juventus chairman, has been trying all kinds of uh, Champions League, Super Leagues, expansions. Uh, now has a great subscription idea to watch football. I, I quite like his idea. We'll, we'll get onto that in a in a second. And uh, also uh, a season in a week in a in a country that is Greenland. Which, uh, having read uh, and looked at the pictures about this, this is a it's a fascinating uh, football world almost that they've uh, cr- created there. They've uh, they've been listening to a Villa week in a minute and just ripped yeah. it off. <laughs> and then we'll finish off uh, after we've spoken about all things Villa with underrated or overrated. And uh, I'm sure most people will think this is uh, super exciting. Steve Watson, remember him? <laughs> How are you? How are you? But uh, actually, he had quite a, an entertaining uh, end to his career or post-career, so uh, we like to serve up these wild cards. Right, first off, in the Villa news, I think I was, we were talking about this in Match Club uh, during the Newcastle game. The England squad is announced this coming Thursday before Villa play their last game before the international break against Spurs. So... The main thing, obviously, is uh, how desperate Grealish is to get into the England squad for the Euros. This is really the last international break before that happens. Three games in a week. So the situation is, uh, do we know that he's playing against Spurs if he's announced in the squad? Can he possibly play in the England squad without playing for Villa first, having been out for over a month? Uh, What's your views on it in a nutshell, I'm more interested, to be honest, to see if uh, you know the likes of Konza maybe target because I think because there's three games in a week, I think he might have a quite a big call-up squad before he calls it, and you just want to have a bit of a look at people, especially with you know he's playing San Marino is as good as a friendly, and Albania aren't much cop either, so it depends how much he rotates. Yeah, I don't know how much that is Claret and Blue hype uh, as opposed to I mean when you're getting close I think, to I a think tournament, Konza potentially is probably the more likely of of any of the other English. Villa but players, are they? Are they really likely? I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not knocking them because obviously they're very good. Uh, but you know how we we you know we obviously have. Of course, of course. And other other teams fans will be saying the same about uh, you know X Y Z players. Mm. Just looking forward to seeing the the hilarious online reaction. No matter what happens, it'll be yes. It'll yeah. be either end of the world or the best day in the world or whatever. But uh, life goes on. Uh, as you will be aware of, uh, nobody's off to South America, so the likes of uh, Louise and Martinez will stay home. Obviously, they're uh, in the South American strain red zone of uh, COVID, so uh, Lee Smith will get a week to work with the majority of his squad. Which I think he'll be glad about, to be honest. Well, he needs it. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of injury news, uh, same as, uh, as we saw uh, Cash pop up. The main thing is Wesley uh, training, but uh, as he didn't feature in the under-23s game, and the international break's only a week old, I think uh, it's, it's an April job, isn't it, before he starts uh, popping up? Probably at the earliest, yeah. And if you watch the, the training montage of him, you're sort of looking going, mm, don't think you're ready yet, Wes? Not, not just <laughs> yet. Not quite able to run yet. And I suppose everyone's sort of waiting with, you know... Interest to see um, the extent of Traore's rib injury. You know, some of those innocuous ones are often some of the really, the really nasty ones, aren't they? Obviously, yeah. you're piling into an advertising board and potentially could have broken a rib. Or it may be just a wimp. Mm. <laughs> uh, also, uh, the under-23s lost uh, 3-2 to Burnley. Uh, Louis Barry uh, back in action with uh, Alice Band. Uh, after seeing uh, his foot in a cast on Instagram a few weeks ago, you thought, well, that's, that's him out for a few months. But uh, he seems to be back 
up and at it. Uh, he contributed a, uh, a cross, which Burnley player turned into his own net uh, for the first equaliser. He had a, a shot chalked off as well. Uh, I think he was offside uh, when I watched it back. But uh, yeah, Burnley, uh, they had these two corners, heat seekers, just bent in. And uh, the second one went straight in and the other one, the keepers, didn't know where to be seen. Saying him, saying him now. Saying yeah. it, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, he's the best corner taker I've seen at Bodymore Heath. Uh, <laughs> well, that's been at Bodymore Heath for a good few uh, seasons. So yeah, sign him up. Could be the silver bullet to our problems. Right, uh, three points. As I mentioned at the top, the football index crashes, which was uh, essentially another way of betting on football, wasn't it? It, yeah, was, it, was just, it was like a stock market for football, essentially. Players it? are the uh, commodity and stock, and their uh, value goes up and down depending on their performance. The thing is, it's not like you have market forces and different countries markets and financial results and like real tangible things it's it's people who basically work for bet index or the the, the betting company so they can rig the game essentially to make sure that uh, they're getting more money than they actually pay out yeah and they have their license essentially the license has been revoked hasn't it after that was that was their downfall in the end because as well as the players' values, they had a dividend scheme with a, if a player got hype in the media and things like that. That that if you had shares in the player, you, you got a a, a Brucey bonus sort of on it. But um, at the last week, that's that was the final nail in the coffin when they reduced this dividend right down and everybody suddenly panicked and pulled their money out, just crashed in the stock market. So that was the end of them. And they don't even know the full scale of the losses yet. They've got it sort of, you know, potentially up to upwards of 60 million that people will have lost in this. Just to make this clear, what's the backlash? People can't get their money out. So even it's just sort of sitting in there now. Stuck in, and- it's, the money's stuck in the market, essentially. They can't get their money out. And, lo- and going lower and lower and lower with each passing week. Yeah. Well, the gambling commission suspended it, didn't they? Yeah, they have the license, and you know QPR and Knotts Forest are both sponsored by them, so they've had their you know shirt sponsors removed from the shirt. And, um, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more fallout from this, you know, as the, as the whole thing comes completely unravelled. Yeah, it's just uh, another example of what happens when betting gets so close to football that it's kind of uh, entwined. And uh, what these companies try to do, they try to disguise it. And, you know, football index is one way. I mean, another, there's a company called Fanbet who approached me many years ago and I told them to get lost. I think some other villa site took them on where we'll give 50% of anything that people lose uh, to you so you can, you know, invest it in uh, supporter, uh, you know, football supporters. It's like, wait, it doesn't matter what you do with the money. You're actually, the, the, the end game is the same. People lose their money. They get addicted to betting. And, you know, people who listen to this show, uh, you know, we like the odd bet here and there. But in terms of when you're trying to push it on people and give them offers and all this kind of stuff, it you know it's potentially a road to ruin for some people. And they try to make it appear like to be a more of a game or a more intriguing game. But at the end of the day, you know this is all rigged against uh, the punter, right? Uh, this is a I think an idea that's not rigged against the punter. I think this idea saves a lot of people a lot of good time and especially uh, relevant to the Villa Newcastle game. <laughs> Uh, European Clubs Association Chairman Andre Agnelli, <laughs> the Juve chairman who is pretty much behind all these European Super League uh, controversial ideas. Uh, maybe he's just ahead of his time, the revamping of the Champions League as well. He's come up with the idea of uh, selling subscriptions. This is TV subscriptions, is it not? Yeah. For the last 15 minutes of games, since 
So you'll obviously have the option to watch the whole game, or you could just subscribe, I'm assuming, at a cheaper rate, or in the Villa Newcastle game, probably twice the price, <laughs> just to edit it down to the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So you pay a lesser amount to just watch the last 15 minutes of the of the game. He says, the attention span of today's kids and tomorrow's spenders is completely different to the one I had when I was their age. If you take golf, if it's interesting at all, it's only the last six <laughs> holes on the final day. You are not going to watch the whole thing on telly unless you are a hardcore fan. I mean, he's taken a lot of flack uh, for the European Super League, rightly so, because it just stamp on the domestic league. But at the end of the day, is this a man who's just misunderstood and he's actually a pioneer and ahead of his time? Because does, I can see a lot of merit in just watching the last 15 minutes of most games. You kind of feel like he's a, he's a, pl- a bloke who just probably thinks out loud a bit too much. <laughs> he should probably just <laughs> let his ideas like sit there for a bit and bring him into focus. In his defence, imagine if you had, if all the matches were played at three o'clock on a Saturday like they used to be, if you had access to any match you wanted in those 15 minutes for your subscription and you could switch between them, it's not it's not a bad idea. You just yeah. pick, pick, pick whatever match is the most relevant to you or which one looks the most exciting and then just go, yeah, I'll watch the last 15 of that one. I can imagine see if you'd have paid for the last 15 minutes of that Sheffield United Villa game a few years ago. Switch yeah. it on yeah. and, it's, and you're 3-0 down. See Villa score three goals, great value for money. Exactly. You don't see any of the bad stuff. It's just the good stuff. Same, you know, this season against Leicester, against Wolves, Wolves, Newcastle game, where it sparked into life in the last 10 minutes. But the reason why these people are coming up with these ideas, it's always about how to make more money from the game, how to drain it literally dry or drain as dry, should should I say. Right, on a, uh, on a more purist note, uh, point number three, this has been happening for, for you know, many years now. Uh, think what what happens uh, somebody will do an investigative piece of journalism in this case i think it was rory smith for the new york times where he went over to greenland to see uh, the phenomena which is greenland's whole football season being played in a week which uh, we'll get to in a second and this is something this is a, he wrote this story 2019 and then i think what happens is uh, the you know the uh, the desks of uh, newspapers just looking for any old story so they'll rake up old stories and then repackage them as uh, you know fresh out a bit like the Ghanaian lions thing which had run its cause uh, in terms of there was a film about it and that got a lot of good pickup from like tv you know sky and itv etc covered uh, in the local press etc and then suddenly like the Daily Mail a year later come out of a story as if they're breaking it as breaking news because we do live in a society now with this 24-7 news cycle that because it's such an influx of news daily that you forget about what the news was yesterday so the Daily Mail for example could get away with representing it and here I think it was the Sun who uh, put this out anyway I digress so essentially uh, Greenland which uh, isn't recognized as a football nation by UEFA or FIFA so they do their own thing their league gets played in a week and because of the logistic nightmare and obviously the weather and the temperature it's a it's like an annual event where i mean if you read uh, rory's piece uh, I'll, I'll put a link on the social media to it there's a ship that goes to the town where they play and en route i think it takes three days to get there from uh, end to end so they pick up teams as they go along so there'll be like the team that represents this town and the team that represents, you know, the next town. And I think the stats are like crazy. I think there's roughly 5,000 players in uh, Greenland and that's actually 
10% of the population. You, you summed it up, didn't you? I mean, it's from talking about what we did in, in point two to this. This this is football in its purest form, isn't it? Yeah, so that, you know, you've got these teams being picked up on, you know, what is like some kind of old ferry. And then when they get there, they have to sleep on mattresses in gymnasiums. So you've just got a gymnasium full of uh, all these different teams. I think there's like, is there six or six, six, eight teams? And everybody mucks in from the local town, you know, doing the catering and everything, looking after the players. And uh, I mean, I've seen from Googling like exotic looking uh, football pitches around the world, but this takes some beating. They've got massive ice. It's like on the next to the sea, you've got massive ice caps in the background as whales and all this kind of stuff. And then on the other side, there's like a hillside where people are all sitting around and this gets beamed across uh, Greenland. It's like a national one week event, but because of the temperature and the rock hard uh, plastic pitches, injuries, uh, let's say, are quite frequent in the story. I think there's somebody who's travelled three days to get there by boat and then gets injured in the first few minutes and that's him buggered for the tournament. But I just love it. I I think that this is what all pre-season should be for these multi-million pound Premier League players. They should have to get on a fucking boat for three days, then sleep on a mattress in a gymnasium and then battle it out for some like super uber pre-season tournament that's actually got some significance it's a bit like hunger games or battle royale or something it's kind of more survival of the fittest better than the peace cop oh i don't know about that oh yeah that was that was that was that was sunny and warm there yeah i don't know but the, the, one of the bits in the story is if when the players they looked instead of jumping in the ice bath they just walked down to the, the sea and just put their feet under the sea and their legs under the <laughs> sea yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking in terms of recovery, because you've got to play like pretty much a game every day. So the whole thing is you play back onto the mattress and uh, try to get some sleep. And obviously, there's, um, there must must be somebody selling earplugs there. It's literally yeah, in eat, terms eat, of re- sleep, play, repeat, isn't it? Yeah. But you wouldn't say Klopp or Pep there having to play five games in a week. They, could, they couldn't handle it, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> They'd start crying for sure. Right, so let's move on to uh, the main uh, discussion of the week Uh well, let's let's just get the Newcastle thing out of the way. It was shite. I mean, going into the game, we're we're in a situation where you're looking at you know Leeds, Wolves, Sheffield United, Newcastle, all four teams below us, and you're thinking, right, if if you want to even say the word that begins with E, we've got to be taking you know three or so wins from this, and uh, also showing some kind of intent in terms of performances and the f- and being able to look like we might actually get more points from the tougher games uh, ahead against Leeds we managed to uh, snatch the three points and you know with a very decent uh, defensive display but the other games yes we miss missing Grealish and Cash and I think you should say Grealish and Cash because I think Cash brings a lot to the party in terms of these kind of games in terms of uh, adding uh, intensity to the team and some drive and this, it's largely those four games have been, bar the Leeds game, have been very disappointing. And you just know straight away that when you know we're not getting into Europe, so let's not even mention that. And uh, it's looking like ninth or tenth is where we'll finish this season. Yeah, if we well, if we hold it together. Well, I think there's something to be said, and the, arguably the hardest game out of the four is the one that we played best in and won. Yeah. yeah. So what 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 does that tell you about the team when it comes to other teams that they? think they should be beaten i mean again second hardest wolves we play was a decent performance we put in there i mean faded in the second half but first half was a good performance as well but when you get the newcastle and sheffield united that was just 
wasn't great. Abject. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can talk about Grealish missing uh, and Cash. Well, Cash was on the bench, obviously not up to full speed just yet. But Newcastle were the walking wounded. I mean, pretty much every one of their big hitters was missing. Dwight Gale, you know, started as, uh, you know, they were running out of options. They had to play him. He, you know, he normally does well against Villa. But you're thinking, even, you know, you, we could be missing a couple more players and we'd still be looking to win that game. And... It was just more of the same, what we've been accustomed to watching uh, over the last few uh, weeks, well, if if not probably months, and you could tie it all up and say uh, in 2021 so far. Looking just at the stats, Newcastle 12 shots versus our 15, and you're thinking, oh, we're, you know, we're back up at it. Six of our shots on target, but this game only really took off with like the last 15, 10 minutes, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a horrible game of football to watch. I mean, the first half was as bad as you've seen in any level of football. It was garbage. Um, you know, in a game that we, we used the phrase in the last podcast, of, you know, who's going you know, to take the game by the scruff of the neck? Well, no one <laughs> at the moment. And um, the only player that was looking the most likely to actually, uh, let's say, not be predictable, and I think that's how we, we've been very predictable uh, recently, but was uh, Traore. And, uh, and he got injured, of course. He was off in a bizarre incident where he hurdles the first advertising board and then goes straight into uh, what is the stands advertising board. And it's one of those, should he tough that out? But if he goes off, then, you know, he must be uh, injured. And, you know, if if he's broken a rib, then he's, you know, he could be out for a a little bit. Yeah, it's a really, really painful one. But we just never, never got on top of them. You know, Joe Linton had his one good performance in a Newcastle shirt. I thought he... Put himself around, you know, about well, and gave Mings a pretty, pretty torrid time, to be honest. Um, you know, Mings has obviously been playing pretty well of late. I think he's cut out a lot of those individual errors that had sort of dampened some of the, the hype, and he, you know, he's been defending really well, been good on the ball, and, he's, and his leadership's been you know, second to none. Really, really vocal on the field, as I know. I think you've commented on a few times. Yeah. Um, because he was getting a, a bit, he was getting a bit of slack, a bit of sorry, a bit of flack when he after the game. He yeah, thought, which is kind of it's like, oh, hang on a minute. He's you know he's he's been playing pretty well and you know very much uh, big part of the fourteen clean sheets and he's getting slated and, he, and you're like, yeah, I think there's something else behind this because why are people all of a sudden really picking on him or let's say some people and you know you get these stats accounts who are trying to find an agenda and they're they're coming up with these stats like oh lowest amount of long ball completions blah 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 and people are parroting that to back up whatever their you know little agenda is and you're thinking well you can explain away all these stats i mean you know the leads uh, example we gave when the whole uh, the whole back line were just putting it into the standard just booting it away and their you know their completion rates were around like 40 45 percent which is what we should have done with 30 seconds to go by the way yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is, you know, this is what uh, sometimes you have to break up teams' momentum, and that's how they they purposely did that against Leeds, for example. But here, you know, Joe Linton was giving him shit because he was basically in all most of these instances was covering for Target because Target was bombing up forward, supporting the attack, but we were giving the ball away so cheaply in their in their final third that they were catching us on the break and like the Wolves game and Mings did really well in that that respect because he had to uh, you know come across every time to uh, neutralize Neto here 
what Neto was doing in that game was just his straight line speed, just booting it forward and then just chasing it to burn off target. And then Mings would come across and obviously time it well to uh, sort him out. Here, he had somebody who was physically giving him, uh, you know, it was a bit of to and fro and, uh, you know, gave him a torrid time. But this was Mings covering across as opposed to not doing his job you know in this in the centre-back position but also people forget about the dynamic of that centre-back partnership you know Mings is the one who who meets the danger shall we say and Cons is the one who uh, reads it behind him and sweeps up anything that gets through yeah that's why they work so well together yeah exactly no, I've said my only criticism of Mings is when when looking looking at it it gets personal on the pitch when he has somebody that is a uh, like uh, you know as equal on the pitch so i mean i'm, I'm thinking the game against zaha i'm thinking the burnley game yeah. in the second half when he th- says to himself right i'm going to show this guy and he sort of it's not even rash it's like he, he tries to get physical with him and if the other person is just a bit smarter a bit clever um and is round he kind of falls into the trap doesn't yeah, he yeah he does he falls he, into the trap he allows himself to be baited mm-hmm. yeah but that, like i said that's my only criticism of him and you see some of the stuff online, you just you just shake your head and turn your phone yeah, off. Yeah, it's nonsense. No, I mean, I, I was getting a load of nonsense for saying that Villa have taken, I think, four points from a possible 24 against Newcastle, Sheffield United, Burnley and Brighton. And it's like, oh, don't be negative. I'm like, geez, I wish I could. I wish I, I wish it's I. It's the uh, fucking facts, you that's prick. That's a fact. <laughs> and, and if you like the fact, it doesn't look good. Like, it said, oh, but you know, we've come this far. We've come this far. We've improved loads. I'm like, well, yeah, but we weren't losing those games last year. We've scored four goals in the last seven games. This is before the Newcastle game. Uh, that's what, you know, said after the last game, as, a, as like, you know, this is a cause of concern. You know, how do we address this? And people are going, oh, yeah, negative. Oh, you know, half class. No, it's a fucking fact. Deal with it and have a conversation about the fact and around the fact and what it means and where do we go from here and what that implies i just I, you know smith and the players and christian perslow have come out very uh, very publicly haven't they and said the bar's been raised this is where you know i don't expect villa to get top four as we were saying after four games i don't really expect them to get top six but we are a top top eight top ten side and if you are going to drop or you can you know you, you know there's going to be bumps in the road you know there's going to be you know that's the whole bind to the whole process blah blah but when standards have been set performance wise let alone results wise like if you go to you know, Newcastle and they play superbly you kind of go fair play or Sheffield United and go fair play but there aren't that many games really you can probably count them on one hand where we've been beaten by a much better side we've shot ourselves in the foot or we haven't turned up has been the theme in a lot of these games which means the standards have dropped you've just got to throw out the example of Sheffield United I mean whoever who else is having problems with them oh, hang on a minute didn't Leicester just you know wipe them aside 5-0 they're actually and they're down to 10 men come on what are we going to do about this oh uh, nothing and they've got a manager who didn't really even end up as we found out over the weekend, didn't even want to end up being there. He walked out, didn't he? Yeah. So this is what we're saying. We're saying yeah. uh, it's, it's not happening at Newcastle. Newcastle's toxic behind the scenes. The players are falling out with Bruce, yet they managed to put in a moderate enough performance to get a result, albeit we gifted them a goal in the last minute, but they did enough to get a draw, which they, let's be frank, they deserved. Anyway, let's just swing back to this game before we swing back to uh, you know what what is happening uh, in terms of the, the difference between 2020 and 2021. Second half... Again, nothing really happened. And then it was all about substitutes and the double substitution, uh, Barkley and Sanson. And you thought, they only have to be at like half decent form here and we should win this. <laughs> I mean, they, Newcastle probably had the best chances before the, the final 10 minutes when the game actually came alive. I mean, they hit the bar, did they not? They, yeah. Did that come off, come off Konza? 
I think they just missed it. No, it, it just hit the bar. It was it was a giveaway in in our in our own half, and it was just played through to him. And Jacob Murphy turned inside, and Douglas Louise slid past him, and he had a he had a clean shot, and he just rattled it off the bar. It was it was nearly easier to score. Yeah, they were unlucky really there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because I, I thought uh, there was some credit for Konza there because he you know dived in, but they, when they played showed the uh, the replay angle, uh, there was I think the ref or a player was in the way, so you couldn't actually see yeah. if there was any contact. And then kind of from nowhere, we ended up getting a goal that, let's be frank, we didn't deserve. Yeah, I mean, and you, but you don't apologise for scoring a goal. Oh, no, but it, it was like, you know, Watkins got some luck, finally. And at that point, with sort of five minutes to go, you think, right, you've had your lucky break that we, you don't deserve, but brilliant. Surely now you can do the one thing that you've been good at. Even when you've been playing badly, you've been seeing out games. Surely... You shut up shop, kill the game. This is the key thing. Uh, this is, you know, we, we were just almost ranting there about uh, when you're frustrated after a result. And we're talking about teams that we should beat and teams that actually haven't played that well against us but still managed to get something out of it. But here you're in a great position. You were going nowhere. Suddenly you find yourself five minutes away from three points. And I don't know, is it naive? I don't, I don't know what was going on. But there was a, you know, there was a chance or probably a Chance of two there's, there's to two go two nil up. To kill the game. Mm-hmm. Barkley, I mean, you know, I've, I've mitigated uh, the reintroduction of Barkley and uh, why he hasn't been perf- performing until probably uh, the last game where I just thought, eh, there's something wrong here. A, he doesn't really seem up for it, and B, he's just off the pace, like yeah, and devoid clearly. of confidence. But in the moment, uh, I mean, there was one particular moment, but I'm thinking more of Sanson here because Ramsey starting was was interesting. Because I thought, if you've just dropped a load of money on a midfielder and you've got him ahead of, uh, you know, you made a big thing, you were chasing him and he was going to be, a, you know, on the top of the list for the forthcoming summer, but you got an opportunity to get him early at a reduced price. And, you know, there's rumours that West Ham were after him a couple of, you know, summer ago for like 30 million or whatever. So you're thinking, this guy's pretty good. Now, you'll notice they didn't rush him into the team in the first place. So you're thinking, okay, you know. Get you know, get used to your surroundings. Uh, bed him in, you know, ten minutes here, ten minutes there, no problem there. And then in this game, when when he's not playing, and you, you're talking about Grealish isn't there, Barkley's in a start, terrible form, so he's not playing. And you're thinking, well, Sanson must start now, and and Ramsey starts above him. Ramsey really is at this moment in time is being used for energy and legs. It, it, you can't really identify what he's bringing to the party beyond that at this at this moment in time. So that was a bit of a red light in terms of Sanson, and then his performance. And there was just one key moment which I'll highlight here, where it's one of our counter attacks, and Barkley's got the ball, and I think it's two on two, him and Watkins, and then Watkins is on Barkley's right, and then running behind them is Sanson. Now this is when Sanson should be r- starting to sprint with them and getting into and being presenting Barkley with an option to his left or actually stand basically there with an open goal in front of him for for Watkins just to slide it across when he breaks into the 18-yard box for like a tap-in, 2-0, game over. But Sanson just stopped and started jogging and just, you know, let's see what happens here. Rather than turn it into a three against two, he, he just jogged and just watched to see how the two against two would play out. And I thought that attitude, that, that kind of sucks. And he must have got a boot up the ass when they watched that game back. You would think so. If he's getting a bit up the ass for that, he's getting a bit up the ass for the Newcastle goal whenever we get that as well. Yeah, I mean, even just before then, you know, you think it. I understand if he's if, if Smith has said, don't bomb on, just hold the pitch in case this breaks down. I understand that. But there's another one where we get a corner, don't we? I think McGinn's in the corner with 
but I want to say Barkley. Yep. They roll the ball. They lose the ball instantly. They're clearly playing for the clock, which at that point in the game, I think is the right thing to do. When you've played dreadfully, you should chase the second, but I understand if you don't just kill the game as a as a context. And they just they got out so easily. But I thought that was such a clean cut advantage. If he ran oh yeah parallel yeah. with Barkley, then if Barkley sees him, he's he's playing it to him rather than Watkins, who's who's still got to shoot from a, a more acute angle with yeah. a defender in front of him, or Watkins slides it into him. Yeah, and those openings, they're the they they're training ground moves. Those are yeah. g- generally they're pretty rehearsed. You you that's how you teach people how to mm-hmm. you know counterattack. You're doing this daily probably in training. And you're watching that, and that's why you're getting frustrated over the last few weeks. Not because, oh, you know, it swings and roundabouts and you have some good form, you have some bad form, and you know, we've had a good season, blah, blah, blah. It's like, are we not, you know, seizing the opportunity here? Because we've dropped like easy wins, like routine wins, should I say. Well, we've dropped <laughs> like a Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Picture the scene all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Stone. Mm-hmm. But we got to play out those final minutes and. McGinn and Barkley go to the corner flag and you're thinking, oh, there'll be a bit of interplay here. And they get out so easily. Barkley doesn't and even attempt to tackle the guy. Just foul Well, him. all McGinn does is stick his bum out and that all might work in the championship, but they just took the ball off him as if they were laughing at him. You might, yeah. you're might, you better off there just banging it in the stand for throwing and boxing him in. Hmm. Well, like, you know, McGinn plays it short to Barkley. Barkley can do all his feints and whatever. You know, that gets rid of 30 seconds and, you know, McGinn offers himself and they just played the two of them like a training exercise down the corner flag. You don't Barkley doesn't shouldn't back off and then McGinn just sticks his ass out. Yeah. And then of course when the ball goes up the other end, it all goes horribly wrong. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is what we were alluding to earlier. I mean, uh, the ball went into the box a few times because Newcastle, it's their only way of scoring. They did put in a few decent crosses over the, the whole game. The ball comes out to El Ghazi and he should clear it. He should do anything with it apart from what he did. What he does is he sort of flicks it with the outside of his foot towards Sanson in the overlap, but he overhits it, so it goes to Newcastle player. They play it back to Shelby and then Sanson doesn't close the cross down. Shelby hits it in, Andy Carroll makes a nuisance of himself and it goes all the way to the other corner where it's retrieved by, again, Newcastle. This time, McGinn doesn't go out and pressure the cross. It's whipped in and lack of sales is uh, it's, it's no contest for him in the air against Louise and it's it's a great header's goal. It's a dreadful goal. Really, really poor I mean, at that point in the game. When you, but it's surprising when you consider how good we have been defensively. Yeah, that's, uh, that was the, that's the really big surprise. You know, across think the whole if, season. If, if any team in the league is going to take the lead with five minutes to go and and see it out at the moment, you'd probably think it's Villa. It's only a few weeks ago we're talking about 1-0 to the Villa being like George Graham's Arsenal. I mean, that Seggy had nearly left us where we couldn't hold on to a lead. Uh, this, this season was eradicating that, but then against Newcastle, it was just a blip that came back. I mean, you, you're going to have moments like that, but let's be frank, we didn't we didn't deserve to win. Smith said as much. The problem was the pr- there was no pressure on the ball. There was no pressure on Shelby's cross into the box, and there was no pressure on Murphy's cross in for the for the winner. And the same that's that's all it took. We're not asking for you know miracles and defending. We're just asking get in their face because it's the last minute. This, this is the difference between winning the game and not. Let's not hark on about this game. But I've had enough of it already. But in terms, of, it it was an example of what's been happening in 2021. Uh, the interesting thing is when you compare, if you just take the league table where Villa played in 2020 in this season, we played. 14 games and in 2021 we've played 13 so it's almost like a halfway split we have actually conceded uh, the same amount of goals 14 so if you want to take that as a broad line stat that means our defense has has played as good at the start of the season as it is now so Mm -hmm. you can't pin any complaints uh, on on it it's uh it's the other end of the field we've only won four games out of 13 compared to eight out of 14 and uh, you know you're looking at we've we've actually lost lost two more than we've uh, won in 2021. Let's th- throw the theories out there. What's uh, I mean? There's the COVID situation. Obviously, that started at the start of 2021. That must have an impact. For me, it's a bit of a perfect storm. You've got the COVID situation, which which can't help. But Smith seems to have tried to sweep it under the carpet a bit, hasn't he? He hasn't used yeah. it as an excuse, which I think would have been a valid one. Like you know, Bruce had problems. You know, San Maximan was out for weeks, wasn't he? Yeah, because most of our players came back. I think it was just Trezeguet, I think Courtney Horse. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. And we were expecting a bigger thing. We think, oh, you know, there might be five, six out, you know, for a couple of weeks. Because he did actually say in his initial, uh, when he addressed the situation, he said there might be a staggered return of players. Yeah. So I think you've got the COVID situation. I think obviously the injuries to Jack and Cash aren't going to help, but let's be frank, we weren't playing well with them in the team. Yeah. Um, You wonder if tactically teams have worked out how to play us. I think there's this strange, almost mirror image with Villa where we're brilliant at playing a low block in our half, but we can't play against one in the other half. And this is the thing because, I mean, if you, we've compared the goals conceded and it's identical, uh, goals scored actually 17 goals less yeah now if you take out most of the seven goals we scored against Liverpool which are obviously going to affect that I mean let's say we scored three even that's there's still 13 goals uh, less so that is you know it's well well down and that is the problem that's what we're watching I mean initially the start of this year we were still creating the chances and we were creating a lot of chances which just we haven't been clinical so add to that list with COVID is we didn't buy that 
second striker, which we should have done in the summer. And you're looking at a man called Ollie Watkins who's he's got to do it week in, week out. And there's no opportunity to freshen him up. There's no opportunity to uh, give him a breather in game, you know, sub him. There's no opportunity to play somebody alongside him because we haven't really got a, a proper threat. There's no competition for his place either. Not not realistically, because Davis isn't realistically competition. He's just like, well, we have to put a striker on the bench. We'll, we'll put him in there. I just, the big problem, as everyone has alluded to, is the, is, the, is the midfield, be it shape. You know, we've gone from playing a 4-2-3-1. Sometimes we play 4-1-4-1. Sometimes it's 4-3-3. For me, 4-3-3 doesn't work. I think we're actually better when we have two two in there with Louise and McGinn, Barkley in the middle, Jackie either side, and then a striker. Yeah. But we, we seem to have changed that from the, the start of the season when we were playing that sort of you know, the, the two in the six role and let and then one of McGinn or Louise you know, interchanges and pushes on when if and when needed. I don't I don't know why that is. So yeah, I mean that's another problem is the, the actual setup and formation and you know this is obviously Smith and the coaching staff that have to take uh, yeah responsibility here. I mean people have said he's a bit of a streaky uh, manager in terms of he goes on runs of winning and then poor results. I don't know if that's they, that that can be an, an attribute that a manager has. It's just uh, yeah. circumstances, really. Yeah, when, yeah, when their team clicks, it really clicks, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. Another thing I think we've, you know, we've there's been a lot of talk of sort of you know Barclays form. You know, Trezor Gay gets a lot of a lot of stick from people as well, uh, and various other people's form. And but you look across the, you know, you look down any team sheet, bar probably the back four and the goalkeeper. Everybody else further forward has been guilty since the turn of the year of having dipped off in performance levels. It's just that across the board, we're not hitting the standards we were in terms of, I'm sure if you look at players' pass completion and things like that, we're, just, we're not as effective. We're not as clinical. We're not sort of as crisp in our passing in the way we play. We've had little moments, you know, for 45 minutes against Burnley. First half against a bloody awful Newcastle team at Villa Park. I thought we kind of won the game there and we've had little moments, but we haven't actually put 90 minutes together yet, I don't think. While, while the ethos, uh, with the Dean Smith ethos initially was, uh, you know, you play it out the back, you know, we follow the uh, the pep template. He realised uh, at the, you know, the end of last season, a project restart that uh, throw I did, you know, ideology goes out the window. You've got to try to, you know, you've got to do something to a toughen up this defence and b, you know, stay in the league. But you found the the perfect balance at the start of the season. But the, you know, the only teams that are super comfortable playing out playing out the back are, are paying top dollar for you know full backs because full backs are key. But you know, when anybody's pressing us. And this is where you know Mings has a, you know issues, or any of the back line have issues. But as, as soon as they play it into the midfield, the midfield play it straight back. They they're, they haven't really knuckled down what they're trying to achieve. They don't have a plan when they are getting pressed properly, or if there's high energy in the midfield that closes the midfield down once they receive the ball from the defence. And that's why they go a bit longer. Criticism about Mings's long ball pass completion, as I said. Some games they're just trying to break up momentum, but also uh, I remember you know first first season in the Premier League, he, his some of his cross cross uh, field passing was was pretty spot on. Yeah, he certainly got the raking cross field ball down to a tee, or certainly did have. I just, I just think we've lost our dynamism. Whether that comes from Jack and Cash, and is, is it a personnel thing? I don't necessarily think it's just personnel because you can play a great ball, but if nobody's there. Yeah, to actually, you know, nobody runs onto it, or, or if somebody gets beaten by a defender, or if somebody's first touch is crap, that's classed as a incomplete pass, and it's nothing to do with you if you've played the perfect ball. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I mean, my my sort of stat from over the weekend, you know, the the nine from twenty four points against bottom, you know, bottom five sides was 
more to allude to the fact that why can't we break down a poor side or an average side? There's complacency you know, with, as well. Whether it's complacency or whether whether or not it's a tactical thing that actually, if a team opens up and has a go at us, maybe we're we're maybe we're a counter attacking side. Well, I, a bit like a bit like Andronia, we just if you open up, you've seen when you know in Arsenal opened up, we battered them. Liverpool opened up, we battered them when we played Fulham. Crystal Palace when we had ten men against Arsenal. I mean, we scored that great goal, which was basically Barkley and Grealish doing an Arsenal on Arsenal. And you're thinking, well, we've got it in us to break down that you know low block, two banks of four, whatever. Is there something to do with Villa's form being connected to Barkley being in good form at the start of the season and everything kind of uh, connecting up? Maybe because he's a different player almost now. No, w- watching it there, it's since the turn of the year and. Not to go back to that Burnley game again, but it's that's that's damaged them mentally. It's like they're now playing very risk averse football when they go forward. It's they're to score the amount of goals we scored in the first half of the season to get as many shots in the game. You're trying everything. You're playing the difficult pass. You're playing the unexpected pass. You're hitting it everywhere. You're being as creative as possible, and that was working. We're getting all these shots. We played like that in the first half against Burnley, and we didn't win the game even as well as we played. And they just think to themselves, right. Well, it's in their heads now that even when they played at their best, they didn't win that game. So there's a bit of it now that when the ball's there, it's like, do you try the one? Do you uh, anticipate that somebody's going to make that run? Do you hit that one? Or do you just lump it to the back Wait, post? It's not fluid anymore, is it? Nope. It's not... Uh... It's hesitant. Everything's, like I said, it's risk averse. It's, it's very easily predicted because you just know where the ball's going each time. It's, there's nothing surprising yeah. anymore. Because yeah, against I mean, Liverpool, we, it was just a fl- just fluid, wasn't it? It was like, I mean, it was jaw-dropping, but it was just almost like instinctive and fluid. And this was a team that you know, the players hadn't really played with each other. Uh, it was the start of the season. I mean, that Arsenal that Arsenal goal you talked about, the game was nil each at that stage. I mean, you're you're not, you weren't 5-0 up and toying with Arsenal. That was that was the opening goal. That was a breakthrough. So you're you're, yeah, you're going already right. scored. A, we'd already scored a picture book goal that got chalked off, and there was yeah. obviously there was the Louise, you know, the brilliant pass. I think it was Barkley squares it across the face of the goal. Watkins for two nil. Then the third goal is, is probably my favourite goal of the season, to be honest. The breakaway goal. So it shows that when when everything clicks and Villa are on the counter attack and the and the game opens up, we're at, we we can be and are devastating. Well, as I mean, most listeners will remember, uh, we're all a bit giddy about this Villa team that we'd suddenly turned up at the start of this season because we were like, fuck me, I'm enjoying watching these. Yeah, and the, pund- the pundits were the same, weren't they? Yeah, it's the first time, uh, and I'm not talking about you know, a team that's just winning. We were looking forward to the next game. You see, this is why I'm so frustrated in these results because, like it or not, Villa are playing catch-up with your Spurs and Arsenal's. We were out of the league for three years, so we missed out on where we want to be. So I'm, I'm sorry for getting annoyed at not beating the you know, the teams in the bottom five of the league that would put us back where, you know, where we're going to have a shout and you know getting the players you want in, keeping the players that you want to keep and just keeping the thing moving. Also, yeah, economics comes into it because uh, we've spent over 200 million over two seasons. And, uh, you know, the first... Uh, well, 120 or so was obviously rebuilding the foundations, and then you finish, uh, you you escape from relegation. So this time, when you pump another 85 or whatever it was in, and you're up in the quality, you're expecting to improve. I mean, it's it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my my sort of, I'm going to you know my my final comment on this is going to be: it depends how a fan wants to frame it. I choose to frame it as this: Villa now, as you've said, after two pretty good transfer windows, as we've seen. We are now a good team. We're not a bottom three side. That, no, that bar has been raised. So you can either treat Villa as being a crap team that were 
punching above their weight in the first half of the season, which I don't believe is true. I think we're a good side and opportunity knocks if we get our shit together. But we're a good side that aren't playing well. Yeah. Of which there's quite a few of those in the Premier League this season. Well, this is the thing. I mean, like last season, you know, you think, what what do you want from next season? You think, well, we want to uh, now establish ourselves, take some scalps, you know, mid-table's fine. But then when you actually have the start that we have, and then you look around and see what else is happening, plus you're in this weird situation, this wildcard season where there's no crabs or anything. So this is something where you should say, right, there's an opportunity here because this isn't like any other season. Why not grasp it? Yeah. And, you know, you look at what's happened to Liverpool. There's no way they lose six home games on the trot if yeah, the crowd's there. No never. way. If the cop's there, not no to the, way. Not to the teams they've been losing to as well. Yeah. If the cop's there, there's no way that happens. So this was a unique situation. And uh, so as it transpires, you're thinking, oh, here we go. There's, there's an opportunity here to do something out of the ordinary, above our expectations. And then when you see it, it's, it's almost like they're on the plate and then you flunk it in a in a poor way. It's not like, as you say, uh, these teams have turned up and played really well. It's like you're, you're saying, yeah, this Sheffield United team's crap. This Newcastle team's crap. What's happened with Wolves? They're half asleep. You know, they're not, this is not the best Wolves team we've played here. They're normally a challenge. I mean, they, they took over the second half, granted, but that was only because we uh, didn't finish them off earlier earlier on. When you've hit the woodwork twice, I just, I just think it's one of those things. It's, Dean Smith and Villa in general in the last few years have been a momentum and a bit of a, a bit of a belief team. Have we lost a bit of belief? Maybe. Have we lost momentum? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you just, the international just, break comes at the perfect time for me at the moment. Well, I don't think it will make much difference, but because uh, the fixtures are pretty tough against teams that suddenly have things to play for. Well, but I, th- I think that suits us. Though, when you look at it and you go, right, well, you know, we're going next season. We're you know we can build on that. The problem is though, you've the last half of the season, that is your momentum. So will you start the next season with that same belief system or you know the, the same inhibition? Or is there going to be such dramatic signings in the summer that it kind of uh, rejuvenates the, you know, the, the club to uh, crack on another step and you know, with refreshed belief? Yeah, or, or just or do people's expectations stop? Oh, well, we were mid-table last season. I'll take that again. I understand this season why people are happy after the last few years of just chaos that it's like, we just want a nice, boring, low-key season. But as you said, opportunity knocks, man. Why not just run at it head first? Well, it did. Yes. I think that's over now, I think. But even still, I, st- I still think a top-half finish is... Oh, it's is, the hope is, that is, kills your bird. It's mm. there's still a top-half finish is an achievement, but why not be in the top-half? Why not be ninth or tenth trying to chase for sixth and seventh rather than, you know, floundering? Well, I'd, I'd like to play well regardless yeah, of results. it's isn't it? You don't, you don't mind losing if you're playing well, but we're not playing well. Because you want to go into next season, let's say, on the back of eight decent performances regardless of the results. Because the results, when you're going to finish mid-table, don't really matter. But if you can see, right, if we can get... A a player here and a player there after watching like impressive performances that's going to be the difference from to actually dominating games and winning them if you can see where the final pieces are put in but if you've got these performances which you've seen in the last few months you it's like well, well, just buy a whole new midfield <laughs> <It's>, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than like yeah these you know if it was like let's say the first first bunch of games you're thinking oh if we add here we get a bit more depth here we've got another option for Watkins and you're putting more final pieces to to complete the team as opposed to oh you know we're, we're still at the drawing board stage and the the owners being what they seem to be I mean they're successful people they're they're not going to 
they don't want to finish ninth or tenth every season, so I don't know what's going to happen. They're ambitious people. They want progress year on year. There's a real limit to where Villa goes for the new owners if they're just uh, mid-table for the next you know, three or four years. And you end up hitting a glass ceiling, like a bit like what Wolves did, and they've bounced yeah. off it, haven't they? There's another train of thought where people are going, ah, oh, Smith's hit his glass ceiling already. I don't uh, it's like that. Come on, give him, give the bloke a fucking chance. <laughs> who's who's growing with the club very quickly? Let, yeah, it's like what, let's hey, let's sack him, shall we? What are we going to do now? It's like this is the perfect storm. Still, we're in it. We've we've still got Grealish, we've still got Smith, and uh, overall, I mean, you know, we're only frustrated just uh, in this kind of. Mind microcosm of the season and the opportunity that it which was perhaps unexpected at the start of it but in terms of uh, the perfect storm i think smith he's learning pretty much on the job isn't he in the premier league we've seen that with in terms of balancing and being realistic about his uh, initial ideology of how you play and you know when you one nil up you try to attack and get that second goal when actually in this league the, the opposition they need one chance you know the, the levels are higher so you need to have more of a balance and he's learned that and it's now uh, it's just you know a season with Shakespeare's going to do him no harm either in terms of uh, getting a bit more wily but I just want this team and, and Smith will want this as well to learn even more is to be in a situation where you're in the running because he's he's proved it you know he's proved himself in the championship and where we came from nowhere off the bend and took games one by one and they had the metal to get us through and got us through the playoffs so there's dna there because we you know he'd never finished higher than uh eighth or ninth and hadn't really won anything but you suddenly saw something there where you thought oh well he's just performed a minor miracle there minor miracle number two was keeping us up when we were it was over with four games to go yeah the last the last two seasons man we've sp- proper sprinted for home and he says himself doesn't he that his team's finished well well this season would be this would be a great season to finish really well because opportunity does beckon. But I mean, still, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't. I think we've, as I said, we had to build the foundations for such a run in against the uh, lower half yeah. of the division teams that we've played. But Dean Smith, I think, uh, from our experience at Aston Villa, forget about what he's done before. He's shown he can sort it out on that. You know, when it comes down to the crunch. Yeah. Right. Before we go, let's do this quick. It's overrated or underrated. So, Mr. Steve Watson, why did we buy him? This is this still the the quest for the Holy Grail, a, a right back? back yeah, back in the nineties. Yeah, it was a Gregory signing on it. Is October ninety eight when we signed him for four million from the tune. Was um, he four million, which is expensive quid, in yeah. those days. Reasonably, I mean, Newcastle were a good side back then, but yeah, we bought him in to essentially replace Gary Charles. I always thought he was like a couple of million kind of guy. No, he sold him for two million, so that wasn't one of Ellis's <laughs> better bits of business. Uh, yeah, we, but yeah, we bought him as a you know right back replace, bit of an upgrade on or a potential, should we say, upgrade on Gary Charles. He'd come obviously from a long period at Newcastle. He was you know their youngest player at one point, I think like sixteen years, and was kind of famous for having a, a party piece flip throwing. He was famous for his little like forward gamble with a throw. Long I can't, I can't remember that. I mean, was this for Newcastle? I mean, he played yeah, yeah. over 200 league games, didn't he, for Newcastle? Yeah, right. there is video evidence of it. But he was, yeah, he arrived obviously with his, um, you know, his long-time youth team friend, Alan Thompson. Was Should it have gone to Stoke well? if he had some fancy uh, throwing routine. <laughs> Him and Rory Delap going yeah. hell for leather. Twin attack. Yeah, he, yeah he jo- you know, he joined his, his old uh, youth team, you know, YTS friend, Alan Thompson. I think they ended up neighbours at one point. 
So I think he settled in sort of reasonably well. And from what I remember, I mean, I think it was Rude Hull, it was the manager at the time. He didn't actually particularly want to leave Newcastle. I think he was kind of shocked when yeah. Newcastle accepted Villa's bid. Kind of surprised, disappointed. He, I think he thought he was going to be one of these you know, Newcastle for life type players. Yeah, I mean, for Villa overall, uh, it, it, it was like just, you're kind of looking and thinking it's like a solid squad player, aren't you? In terms of, uh, it's, it's not like a dynamic right back no, no, he was just sort of steady. It's like six, seven out of ten kind of man, isn't he? He was more like a utility player, wasn't he? Was he even like was yeah. right was right back as home, or did he sort of like float about all over the place? Yeah, I think he was. He was generally a right back in that side. Um, he could get forward, but he certainly wasn't. Yeah, you, know, you look at the the modern right backs. He wasn't a marauding fullback. Uh, any highlights in the Villa shirt? He scored one looping header against Southampton in a Worthington Cup. I think it would have been back then victory. But is that, is that what you call a highlight nowadays, Bud? Bloody hell! <laughs> Scraping the barrel, mate. <laughs> Scraping the barrel. <laughs> it was just a pretty. He had a pretty uneventful time, to be honest, in a Villa shirt, and then lost his place to Mark Delaney. So uh, what what happened to him? Let's hopefully there's something exciting about his life. Uh, well, what he left happened for, to him? Uh, he left for Everton in 2000, then ended up going to West Brom, Sheffield Wednesday, and ended up joining his old mate Lee Clark at Birmingham via Huddersfield in 2012. But unfortunately for him, he actually went bankrupt in 2017 after um, falling victim to a film investment scheme that left him with an enormous tax bill when it was uh, judged by HMRC to have been a tax avoidance scam, basically. Because he was a bit bit of a film buff, uh, apparently, and... Uh Part of his alleged job was to read scripts, which uh, seems a bit left field. Uh, for a footballer. For a footballer, for sure, because uh, there's a certain art to uh, reading scripts and, and giving it a green light as something that potentially could be uh, a goer, considering the millions that it costs to actually make a film. I always remember uh, when I uh, used to interview actors and actresses uh, as a film journalist, and uh, when I used to do my research, because I was actually one of the r- one of the rare fuckers that actually did any research, as uh, actors would say to me, oh, thank you, thank you for doing some research. Anyway, uh, I always used to ask these a- actresses, because you'd see, oh, film, you know, flower films, or blah, 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 films, production company. So you'd always ask them, uh, ah, t- tell me more about so-and-so production company. You know, what kind of stuff are you doing, blah, blah, blah. You'd normally get these kind of vague answers, like, you know, Reese Witherspoon, etc. Although I think she'd actually put hers to uh, proper use. I think Margot Robbie now uh, puts it to use. But the initial point and the reason behind them became clear when I asked Kirsten Dunst. Hers was called Wooden Spoon Productions. And I said, oh, uh, you know, what's so what's Wooden Spoon Productions all about? And she said, oh, uh, all actors have production companies. They're tax write-offs. <laughs> Just started <laughs> laughing. And I thought, wow somebody who's actually honest that's amazing <laughs> so that is the main reason uh, but so uh, i don't think uh, hmrc were fooled when suddenly you've got a, a kind of a average right back uh, <laughs> suddenly reading scripts <laughs> <laughs> and trying to pretend that he's like some kind of hollywood mogul but he's back in football is he not? yeah he now manages york city after previously being at gateshead so i'd imagine he's having to you know Back to his roots. Yeah, back to his back to his roots up north. We have to judge him. Steve Watson, underrated or overrated? It's like meh. <laughs> <laughs> he has to be overrated. He cost too much. Yeah, I think f- four million. He should have been a legacy right back. Uh, four million at that time. I mean, for two and a half million, you can get an energetic Scotsman to run about in the midfield. Precisely, and that's in the current market. Yeah, that's today's money. Today's crypto. Yeah, do you know what? I think I I agree. I th- I, th- I think overrated. You know, I think he arrived as supposedly being like a real upgrade on Gary Charles, who was all right, 
And he ended up losing his place quite quickly to Mark Delaney, who at the time was like a half a million pound signing from Cardiff. It's kind yeah. of like, I think his career had peaked really. And then overrated from me, just like his script reading. And uh, HMRC, they also classed him as overrated as well. But uh, hopefully, financially, he's back on uh, a good footing and uh, we wish him uh, good luck because you know he was dependable so it's not yeah, as he if uh, he's, no, he's no villain or anything uh, I might send him a script I wrote see how it goes <laughs> no no don't because you need it proofreading first commas <laughs> 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 uh, are optional <laughs> we're, we're so cruel to uh, Mr Shaw Right, uh, any final words? Uh, oh, no, we're playing Spurs now in the first of two uh, two ties. Now that Bale's decided he wants to play football again and Kane's back and Son's uh, flickering into life, it's uh, I'm looking forward to that one, hey, boys? Wonderful. But it's the kind of game that hopefully will I mean, <laughs> uh, hopefully get these Villa boys firing again. Hopefully, yeah. Cash back, Grealish back. If that happens, then suddenly you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, we're going to have a go here. Roll back the good old days days of the 2020 start this this season potential for it to be a really good game actually yeah there was there's always potential for villa versus spurs across you know historically historically over the recent decades to be a good uh, good game so uh, hopefully it's our rebirth for this season uh before we go i just want to say uh, thank you very much to the my old man's patrons for supporting the show as always uh, if you also want to uh, become a patron and get access to uh, the extra mom's patreon podcast channel and membership of the exclusive match club that meets uh, for all these behind the closed door games for therapy and entertainment and laughs of course uh, please do go to myomansaid.com click on the patron link and you will get uh, all the details of what happens and how to join there big thank you to uh, nick runham for uh, joining up in the last couple of days uh, and uh, connecting up to uh, match club which he dived into with uh, both feet so thanks a lot nick right uh, one quick thing before we go I can't believe we we didn't even mention the it was the Scott Hogan versus Henry Lansbury derby uh, <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> For fuck's sake, the biggest biggest game of the week, and we and we didn't even mention it. Scott Hogan, how many touches? Come on, boys, let's go. Scott Hogan played sixty seven minutes. He played before they realised it was a thankless task. Fourteen. He had two shots as well, which uh, is a rarity. That's, there's, a, there's a clue. So he got at least two. Nine. Chris Bud. 14. Can you, can you just hold rank, lads? <laughs> hold rank. <laughs> first get. Who's going first? Nobody wants to go first. Again, 14. <laughs> Chris Bud's volunteered with his 14 to go first. Right. Uh, Mr. Phil Shaw, how many? I'm going with nine. Right. We're going into a second round now. Pick another number, Bud. This is an impromptu Hogan touch count challenge. 15. Mr. Phil Shaw. 19. What was Bud's? 15. 14 and 15. Were those your stabs? Yep. And Mr. Phil Shaw's was 9 and 19. Yeah. Oh, we have to go into a third tiebreaker. God, was he that bad? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's under 20. <laughs> cool. Chris Bud, third strike. Uh, 16. And now Phil Shaw. It's still open. Phil Shaw needs to needs to hit the nail on the head to win this. The pressure's on. 17. Oh, he's got it. <laughs> <laughs> he can't 
gave him that as a bit of a tapping. I know. Okay. I was, I, what do you know what I was going to say? Because he said uh, two shots to give you a clue. I was just going to say two. That was <laughs> too much of a clue. <laughs> One of those hit the bar, apparently. Good for him. Thank God we don't have to go to the Henry Lansbury time breaker. But just for shits and giggles, how many touches did Henry Lansbury have? One guess each. Did he actually play? He did. He started. Ooh, he played wow. 80 minutes before he just ran Jesus out of gas. Christ. Wow, and he's played <laughs> in centre midfield. I'm going to say 40. Ooh. That's a good mm. I'm going to say 35. Fucking hell. You're, you're actually reading this off a screen, are you, Phil Shaw? No. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Rogers. 35 exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know uh, what the internet's like in Northern Ireland. Just, so, just to uh, confirm, <laughs> what, was the, what was the final score in the end? 3-0 to the... Uh, the Bristol to, to the top knots to the 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 new founded top knots. Is Vyman still playing for them? He's injured. Uh, of course he him, is. Of course he is. Sorry, I'm tweeting the score just to obviously wind up uh, the blue noses. Right. Well, Phil Shaw, good uh, job that you weren't around when the Scott Hogan touch count was a real thing because you'd have been devastating. <laughs> 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 you'd have obliterated uh, many a people from Dan Rogers to Ben Redding uh-huh. to uh, Max Stokes as well. And I need to know if I'm going to be their new manager, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is. Yeah, you've you've done. All your uh, Opta uh, research, haven't you, on the Blues for your new job there? Right. Anyway, let's uh, a little bonus there, just to br- brighten up your life after the Steve Watson uh, underrated or overrated. <laughs> <laughs> right. Until next time, when uh, hopefully we'll have a uh, mighty fine contest against the Tottenham Hotspur. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans